Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about going pro, talking about what it looks like to become a professional, to get your full-time living from the board game industry. We're talking to Evan Derrick from Van Rider Games. Evan, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Gabe. Yeah, man. Like your guy, you've come on. I, I guess is this your third time being here? The it might be just the second, second or third. Okay, either way. I really enjoyed our last conversation or two, <laughs> uh, but I'm super excited. You sent me a message a while back and you said, hey, I got this uh, really cool stuff going on in my life where I've been able to go pro in the industry. I'd love to talk about it. love to kind of give people insight. This is something that comes up all the time where people are, they want to go pro. They want to either become designers. They want to get into publishing. They want to make their living off of games. And now I think sometimes it might just be rose, rose colored glasses and, and kind of like the pie in the sky thinking that it's going to be the best thing in the world. And that's obviously not the case. Like, there's always pros and cons to everything. So I'm excited to kind of get your uh, opinion on both sides of things, the negative and the positive of this. But I feel like this is something a lot of people really aspire to in for different reasons and in different ways. So I'm excited to hear your journey, your story, how you got into this and being able to go pro to do this full time and be able to feed your family too, right? <laughs> like you're yeah. not just, you know, making money for you. You've got family, you've got kids. And so you had a lot more to think about as far as that goes. And so actually let's, let's just jump right into it. This format, uh, the format of this show is gonna be a little different. Uh, obviously we're not talking about playtesting. We're not talking about a lot of the you know design theories and stuff I do in, in other shows. This is really just about your journey, your story, and then kind of talking about you know, the gaming industry in general, how to get into it, your advice, your ideas. And so let's just kind of start from the beginning, from kind of your journey, where it begins as far as getting into the gaming industry. Yeah, before, yeah, before we start, I definitely want to provide the caveat that I've been, I do, I have a wife and three kids, so I have a family. I am the sole breadwinner, although my wife is now starting to, to she's, she's got a business that she's beginning. So that might, it not, might not be that way all the time, but currently, I am the sole breadwinner and I do pay, I, I do feed and take care of my family and live solely on the income I get from publishing and designing games. And you're in more than just a van down by the river. That's right. More than just a van down by the river. <laughs> I, I get to drive a car. I even have an office. Every once in a while, I'll get a coffee from Starbucks. Nice. So it's not, <laughs> it's not all poverty, yeah. but I've been doing this. Um, I've been doing this full time for about one year, so I am by no means any kind of expert. And it could be that in a year I won't be. I I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, things are going really well, but I just just throw that caveat out there that I. Yeah. But I think <laughs> that's know. important to to know though, because like if I talk to somebody who's been in the industry for ten years and they told me their journey, their story of how they got into the industry ten years ago, that's going to be totally different than twenty nineteen. Two thousand nine gaming industry. <laughs> totally different than 2019 yeah. gaming industry. So I think having somebody like you that's just fresh into it, a year into it, I think is actually the best person to talk to, to some, for somebody who's wanting to do it now, because it's a very different industry than it was even just a couple years ago. And so I feel like this is actually, it's actually better this way. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully my story and I mean, we were, I was very intentional in wanting yeah. to make this my full-time job and uh, was fortunately able to do that. So hopefully whatever, whatever I can share is for people out there listening who are thinking, I would like to be a full-time designer. I would like to be a full-time game artist. I would like to be a full-time publisher. Hopefully that, uh, there's some nuggets in here that will be useful for them. Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, let's see, I guess I could tell you a little bit about how I got into the industry and then, you know, kind of the truncated version of then how I, I got to, to go full time. Yeah. Um, I, I've always loved games, you know, just like most of us. Um, but I, I got back into them, you know, probably about eight or nine years ago. And then I tried my hand at designing. I, I figured like many first time designers, you play a lot of games and you go, you know what? I can make one of these things. How, how hard, hard could it be? be? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so I took a uh, I took a game called Battlestar Galactica that was designed by Fantasy Flight and was one of my favorite games. But it takes like three hours to play, and so I I I, I took the things I loved about it and trimmed it down into a sixty minute game and put dice in it, and we called it Dark Moon. And uh, Stronghold Games published it, so that was my first uh, published design. And that was back in geez twenty twelve, I think. Um, 
So after that, I obviously wanted to design more games. You know, I had the bug. So I was working on other designs and stuff. And um, my day job was I worked as an advertising, a digital advertising account manager. Um, I, I did did digital advertising for movies and films, and that was my full-time job. Um, And I didn't, I didn't really, I was very good at it, but I didn't love it. And it was working in the movie industry, even on the advertising side can be pretty brutal. Um, there's, you know, in, in the movie industry, there, there really isn't off time. You don't ever yeah. shut off. And so my job was really wearing me down. And I had this other thing. I was like, you know what? I really like to, I'd like to try to be a designer full time. I'd like to make my living doing this. How do I go about doing that? Um, I looked around and looked at other designers that I knew who were making a pretty strong go of it. And they approached it, they approached it a very specific kind of way. They were bringing, um, they were bringing like five to 10 different designs to conventions, different sell sheets, and they'd meet with publishers and they'd have their little booklet and be like, Hey, which one of these games looks interesting to you? I think these two games might be interesting to you. Let me show them. And then they go to another publisher and say, Hey, I think these two other games might be. And so they were bringing these suitcases full of different designs and stuff. Um, and I didn't design that way. That is not how I designed. I, I kind of like had one that was like my precious, kind of like Gollum and the One Ring. It was my baby that I sat in the corner in the dark and stroked and thought about it and, um, <laughs> and cultivated and built it. And that's kind of how Dark Moon was for me. Um, I did almost everything on that game. Uh, Stephen Bonacore, who's fantastic with Stronghold, he obviously paid for it. He took all the risk. He worked with the manufacturer to negotiate everything. But I did everything else for that game. I did the graphic design. I didn't do the illustration, but I art directed it. I wrote the rules. I did all the playtesting. I did the layout. Um, I did the balancing. I mean, I was super involved in that. And then uh, when I got done with that, I realized oh, but it's not my game anymore. I've essentially licensed it to Stronghold, even though I put my heart and soul into it. Um, And I couldn't imagine doing what these other designers were doing, like just having 10 different designs that were kind of like 60, 70% there. Like that just wasn't how I thought. And because I designed very thematic games, which are very rich, um, it's really difficult to make a thematic game. And like, and, and, and so I, I wasn't going to be able to do what these other designers were doing. And so I thought, well, if I'm not going to be able to make a full-time go of it like they are trying to do, then I, what I kind of do is more like a publisher. So maybe I should get into self-publishing my games. I'm sure people out there, especially with Kickstarter and stuff, have had that thought before. Hey, maybe I should self-publish, um, which is, is, is its own. It's, that's its own beast. Yeah. Um, but I was really thinking about that and. Um, I had just started going to a game group, and in my new game group uh, was a guy named AJ Porfirio, who ran uh, Van Ryder Games. He was the only guy. He completely ran it. Um, And so I sat down with him one day, and I said, hey, I would like to pick your brain about publishing. I'm thinking I'd like to get into it myself. Um, I'd like to know, you know, how difficult is this going to be? What am I getting myself into? What am am I biting off more than I can chew? Yada, yada, yada. And he said, well, hey, I have another idea for you. Instead of doing your own thing, what if you thought about joining me? Um, and so I, uh, uh, we kind of worked like on a kind of honeymoon period or a dating period for like six months to see how we kind of worked together. It was a really good fit. Uh, we caught our skills complemented one another really well. Um, and so I made the decision to join Van Ryder instead of doing my own thing um, as creative director and vice president. And um, then it was just two of us. And from that point on, we really intentionally, AJ and I intentionally decided that we were going to try to make Van Ryder um, a full-time thing. And it took two and a half, three years of us working two full-time jobs, our day jobs, which he was in like logistics planning and management and I was in digital advertising. Um, but then in the early mornings and on the weekends and in the nights, we do Van Ryder stuff. And we launch Kickstarter campaigns and publish games and all that kind of stuff until um, when we launched uh, Detective City of Angels, which is my game that I designed uh, a year and a half ago on Kickstarter. That was successful enough um, that we were able to kind of go, you know what, I think we can make the jump into full-time. 
Um, now, when you say, got, let, me, let me pose you right there. When ahead. you say successful enough, like what was the threshold that you guys were working on? Like, did you have an idea over that two and a half years? Hey, we need to get to this point specifically, like a specific threshold, or is it just kind of, you know, gray? It's, it's kind of gray and it's going to, there's not like a, it's not like, oh, you make $200,000 in a Kickstarter. You can go full time. <laughs> like it, it is not that clear cut. Right. In fact, after the Kickstarter funded, I was thinking in my mind personally, um, one of the great things about having a partner is AJ handles a lot of the business stuff, which isn't necessarily my strong suit. Um, and so I was thinking, uh, 500,000, that's gotta be the threshold. If we mm-hmm. hit 500,000, clearly we can now quit our jobs and go full time. Um, detective did 267,000. Um, and I was thinking in my mind at that point, man, that is really good. I am so glad that my game is that successful, that people want it that bad but that is probably not going to be enough for AJ and I to quit our jobs and pay, you know, like to to be able to start drawing a salary. Mm -hmm. Um, But then kind of a week or two after the campaign ended, AJ was like, Hey man, I've been crunching some numbers and I think we might be able to make the leap to full time. Um, We've, you know, we've got additional income coming in from some of our other games that have been selling in retail and yada, yada, yada. Um, And when he told me that I was like, Whoa, really? (laughs) <laughs> I was kind of surprised. Um, but it was at that point that we began planning and it was about, it was May of the fall. The Kickstarter ended, I think in August or September of 2017. Um, and it was May 1st, 2018 that we officially quit um, and started working at Van Ryder full time. Gotcha. Now, what were some of the other things he was looking at to say, yeah, I think we can make this happen. Uh that would, it's man, all kinds of stuff, you know, what we need to live on. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give you an idea of how intentional I've, I've been, uh, we lived probably about 30 minutes away from where we are right now in a much more expensive uh, town. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were looking at buying a house and we specifically moved to 30 minutes away to a cheaper area so we could buy a cheaper house in anticipation of taking a pay cut uh, when I quit my job because my job, my advertising job paid very well Um, in anticipation of taking a pay cut so that we could, um, so that we could go full time. Uh, My wife was really on board with that. We had a lot of conversations about it, but so some of the stuff that, you know, AJ was looking at was what do we need to survive on a monthly basis? What about insurance? How are we going to handle that? I mean, it's all kinds of factors. Yeah. Uh, that go into that. So and you guys, you guys live in Tennessee. Is that right? Um, yes, we live in Tennessee, uh, South of Nashville. Yeah. I think that's something and John Gilmore came on the show a while back. And what he talked about was I asked him very similar question. How are you able to go pro? He said, well, I live kind of in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, where it's super cheap to live, right? He doesn't live in New York. He doesn't live in California. He doesn't live in places that are just high expense places. And so that's something I think anyone listening to this want to go, you want to go pro, where do you live? And maybe you do need to move. Maybe you do need a smaller house. I mean, it, it's all about trade-offs, right? What are you willing to trade off to, to have the job that you really want? I think it's something to really be, like you're saying, intentional about. And I saw John when he, he posted on Facebook, I think he, they were selling his house or it was a house down the street and they posted the price. And <laughs> where he's living is way cheaper even than where, where, where I'm living. Yeah. So uh, there are, gosh, people moving to Nashville every minute. It's right. the, the statistic is absurd. It's growing. Uh, places to live are very expensive, but it is not California. It is not New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, you're right. That That's actually a really good point. If you want to do this full time and you live in California or New York or some other really high end place, you might want to consider moving. Yeah, definitely. All right. So what, what else? What, what's next? So that's kind of, that's kind of my, my journey, my, the quick, short and dirty version of how, how, how we managed to, to, to go full time. Um, there's two of us and we just hired another employee. So, so in that sense, things, things are, things are going really well. Uh, we've got a lot of cool products coming out. Um, so I guess, I guess I could kind of share, um, obviously everyone's story is going to be different. Everyone's path into the industry is going to be different. Um, but I can kind of give like the top three or four pieces of advice, uh, the things that uh, AJ and I really applied and took to heart, kind of real practical advice yeah. that kind of allowed us to go full time. 
Um, I think this really applies to probably people who want to be designers, people who want to be artists or illustrators, do graphic design, something like that, and people who want to be publishers. Now, our our story is really kind of walk, crawl, or crawl, walk, run. Like we were very slow and steady. Slow and steady wins the race. That's how we did it. We did not have there. I know people in the industry who do this full time and they're married to like a spouse who's a doctor or a lawyer. Um, I know people who do this full time when their first game was a massive hit. Um, and so not like those kinds of situations do not apply to this and this advice. Um, maybe if you're, I, I guess we could completely just, I could just say, Hey, design a hit game like dominion and, uh, you'll be, <laughs> you'll able be to set, yeah. done. All right. I given you all the helpful advice. Right. <laughs> Good luck guys. Um, but, uh, but I've, I've got some kind of practical things. We really applied things we really uh, worked at. And I could, I could kind of share those tips. Yeah. Let's hear them. All right, so the first one is start if you want to if you think that you want to do this full time, if you think you want to work in the industry full time, especially in a creative aspect, start treating it like a job right now. Hmm. Um so in a former life, I was I was a film critic and I had a blog, I had people writing for me, I had a press pass, I went to press screenings. When Oscar award season time came around, I got like 80 DVDs in the mail and got to vote on stuff. And so I, I had done this thing. It was really, but o- over time, I started to really hate it. I loved film, but there was something about critiquing it and having to write about it on a repeated basis that made me start to hate it. Mm. And it actually fundamentally altered my appreciation of movies and really changed. And I had to just quit. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This isn't fun. So the most important thing I can say is start treating it like a job because you will find out real quick if you want it to be your job. Um, There's kind of like a dark side to doing what you love. Like this is not all fun and games. Um, I now play a lot less board games than I did before I started doing, trying to make this my full-time gig. That is, and you will, you will find that truth across the industry from almost anyone you talk to. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. And I, to, to be hundred percent clear, I love what I do. I work really hard to make this happen. I want to trade it for anything. I'm very fortunate and very thankful and very grateful, but it isn't all, it isn't all fun and games. It is a job. It is work. And so you, if you love playing games and playing lots of different kinds of games, uh, making that your job might not be something you're going to enjoy. You might hate it. It might lead you to a point where you actually don't like playing games at all anymore, as hard as that is to believe. So number one, start treating it like a job right now. Um, so I remember, uh, I remember I was in a design group. One of my, one of my first kind of almost mentors, one of the guys who introduced me into the industry is a designer named Stephen Glenn. Uh, he designed Balloon Cup. He designed First and Goal. He designed Rattlebones. He's got a bunch of other stuff out now. Um, but I remember we we had a weekly meetup where we got together and um, uh, would would play each other's designs and stuff. And one of the other guys in the group wanted to bring his daughter along, like his like ten year old, eleven year old daughter. And Stephen, I remember he had a real issue with it. He said, "This isn't playtime. While I'm sure she's great, we're professionals." meeting together uh, to do professional work. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you wouldn't, you know, bring your daughter, uh, unless it's bring your kid to work day, you want to bring your daughter into the law office or doctor office or anything like this. And that really made an impact on me. I, Cause I remember thinking like, Oh, I was just kind of thinking of this, like a fun hobby on the side uh, designing, but he was like, no, we're professionals and we're, we're, we're doing professional work. Um, and that really kind of changed my thinking in a way. And I began to think of myself as a professional. Um, so like in, in this, in treating it like a job in, in thinking of myself like a, as a professional, um, I, I had a number of priorities and things I wasn't willing to sacrifice. My family is very important to me and I didn't want to, and obviously I had a day job that I was already working at full-time day job that I wasn't able to, I couldn't just quit that and not feed my family. Um, and so I, uh, 
uh, I had to really examine my priorities. And so it became my family was the most important. Uh, I had my day job. That was also important. And then the third thing was uh, doing the full-time design, you know, design and publishing gig, um, working to, to make it happen. And that was almost all I had room for in my life. And I began sacrificing a lot of my other free time and hobbies. I used to play video games a lot. I now play video games one day a week, maybe. I I still find time for it, but I don't do it nearly as much. Um, Oftentimes, the first thing that would go um, when it'd be like, when we'd we'd be pressing to get a Kickstarter campaign or I'd be working a lot of extra hours, you know, uh, I'd be like, hey, honey, I have to work from like eight to midnight. And is that going to be okay? Are you going to be able to lay the kids down? When I had to make those calls and sacrifices, I couldn't also go, hey, babe, and then the next night, I'm going to go to game night and <laughs> leave you alone with the kids again for another four hours. So like game night, my game night suffered. There would be a months where I wouldn't even go to game night because I was spending all of my free time um, doing other stuff. And I think some of the guys in our game group were actually probably a little upset with me or a little disappointed that I wasn't coming, that I wasn't coming anymore. It was almost like I quit. Um, and so that's another part of treating it like a job is figuring out what your priorities are and really, really reorganizing your life in a way that you make, like, if you really want to make a go of this, you really have to carve out the time and it's going to, it's going to require you sacrificing other stuff. Now, if you don't have a family or a wife, uh, you know, or a lot of extra, you know, uh, responsibilities like that, then in some senses, it'll be much simpler for you to kind of carve out, carve out that extra time. Um, but for me, it wasn't. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it can't be overstated how important it is if you are married to, or even if you just have a, a long term relationship you've been in, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, even even that. But to have a a person who is a partner in this, because if that spouse or that significant other is against this, it's not going to happen. Like it's just like if your wife is like, really, I hate that you spend so much time away. I hate this. I hate that. Like your relation, you're going to eventually have to choose between your marriage or or the yes. or the job. And so like that's not going to work. That's not a choice that anyone wants to be put in that position. Uh, I'm in a very similar place, you know, with the podcast and the books and stuff like that. Um, when when my Kickstarter funded, I guess now it's it's been a few weeks ago. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, no, it's crazy, man. It did so much better than than I anticipated. And I remember the day the day it ended. All right, and I looked at that final number. And I pulled it up. I pulled up my laptop and you know, put the uh, Kickstarter page up on my laptop. And I, I came over to my wife. She's sitting at the table and, and I don't know, she's working on something. And I, and I sat in front of her and I pointed to the number and I said, thank you. Because without you, this is not possible. Like she has never interviewed anybody in those podcasts. She, podcasts. She's never sent out an email. She didn't write any of that book. But without her, that whole thing doesn't happen. Right. And, and I'm very, very aware of that. And I, I do my best to constantly tell her how thankful I am for her and her just partnership in this and her, you know, her allowing me in so many ways because of she, she's filling the gaps that I can't fill right now because so much of my time is going towards this. Right. But that yeah. long term intentional goal is in mind. And so I think that can be overstated, man. Uh, just how important it is to have people in your life that can help you because this is not. And by any stretch, a self-made thing. Like it, it, you're not a self-made man. I'm not a self-made man. Like it doesn't exist. Like we need uh-huh. people in our lives to help us come along in this journey. And so, yeah, I think it's something really to take a take in, take into account. Yeah, I 100% completely agree with you. I mean, I remember uh, sitting down with my wife and saying, "Hey, we want to try to make this a full-time thing. We're going to kind of work at it. What do you think? How do you feel?" And she she saw the impact. Um, my day job was having on me hmm. uh, emotionally and mentally and physically. So she was like, yeah, we need to, we need to get into a new place, a new life. She was very supportive. I mean, it's not perfect. I haven't handled it perfect. There's times I work way too much, right. um, but you're right. Uh, it's trying, it's being appreciative of the role she plays. She, she takes care of our family and runs our house, which is like a full-time job in and of itself and is so much more exhausting than any of the stuff I do. Yeah. Um, and, and she's also really talented and an artist and starting her own business in her own right. So now we're kind of at the place where I'm, I'm able to kind of support her in, in doing that sometime. Because now that I'm full-time and I'm not working two full-time jobs, <laughs> I actually have a little bit of extra time yeah. that I can claw back to, to give to her for all the times uh, she you know, she, she took care of things while I was at the office working late or getting up at five in the morning or yep. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just uh, that's marriage. So it's funny going into marriage. People say, "Oh, it's it's fifty fifty. No, no, it's not. 
marriage is very, very rarely 50-50. Sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes it's 99 and 1, right? Where one person is just giving so much and the other person has 1% to give and that's all you got, right? And I think I think that's something also just to be aware of from a, a marriage, like anybody thinking about getting married soon and, and want to go in pro in the, in the gaming industry. Like that's how this is going to be sometimes where, yeah. you know, make sure that, that that person you want to marry is aware, right? That's the thing. Make sure they're aware of these uh, these sacrifices that, that have to be made for these dreams. Because uh, sometimes I've got so many friends who would love to go out on their own and start their own business and, and pursue some kind of creative venture and things like that. But the person they ended up marrying is just, it's just not going to work. And they know that. Yeah. And it's kind of unfortunate. And I don't think they would trade their spouse or anything like that. But it, but it is something that uh, that people, it's good to know going in that this is what you're thinking. This is kind of how it's going to be. Have those hard conversations. Say, hey, here's where I want to be five years from now. What's it look like to get there? Are we willing to make these trade-offs? Are we willing to sacrifice certain things? Are we willing to sell our house and, and live in a smaller house? Are we willing, willing to move? Like those are really hard conversations to have and it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And there were moving, taking a pay cut, yeah. um, uh, t- like schedule. I mean, I radically, in order to make this work, I radically altered my schedule. Yeah. I was getting up at like five in the morning and going to work at whatever coffee shop would open in time, like around then. And I'd work before and then I'd go into my day job and do that. And then sometimes I'd work, I'd do uh, van rider stuff on my lunch break, go back to my day job, come home, you know, hang out with my family, eat dinner, put the kids down, and then sometimes work um, even in the evening, work on the weekends. I mean, generally speaking, I knew I, I don't work real well in the evening. My brain, like, especially after I've, I, I just so exhausted at the end of the day mm-hmm. that I like, it takes me twice as long to do anything that I just, just kind of like, I'm not going to work in the evening. I can't do it. But so the, the, the other way that I managed to do that is I got up at like four thirty-five in the morning. Yeah. I was like working and I'm not a morning person. So that was, that was a very difficult change for me to make, but because I had to treat it like a job. Um, I had to take it and I, I had to take it really seriously if we were ever going to make a shot of making this a full-time thing. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing we were talking about before the show was time management. Like, tell me, give, give me a little more specifics in the ways that you managed your time efficiently with so many things going on, so many plates spinning. Like, what were some of the, the things you implemented other than just waking up early? Like, help me understand other things. So for me, uh, and this is going to be different for different people, different people work differently, but I had to compartmentalize my life as much as possible. Um, and the way I did that is I tried to work and do different things in different places. Hmm. Uh, that's how I like, uh, I, I would change my physical location, which will allow me to mentally shift. Yeah. So I get up in the morning, I go work at a coffee shop and that would be a uh, game time, uh, design time, publishing time, uh, pre- prepping for a Kickstarter time, whatever it was. And then I would leave that place and I would go to my office, my day job, and I would work there like that. And I would try, I would work very hard not to do any kind of van rider work at my day job, even in the margins, Mm -hmm. if I could. Um, Because when I began to blend my worlds, I I would get out of whack and it would become difficult for me to focus. Um, In order for me to get everything done that I needed to get done, I had to be as focused and efficient as possible. And if my mind was in one place thinking about design stuff while I was also having to do my day job and get that done, um, then I'd become really inefficient and get clogged down. So I wouldn't do that. And then when I went home, I wouldn't work at home. I, I still implement that now. Um, we, we don't have a real big house, so I don't like have an office. I can go and shut the door and kind of be like, Hey, when daddy's in the office, mm-hmm. like no one gets to bother me. This is whatever. I, I didn't have that, but I, I wouldn't work at I wouldn't work at home. I wouldn't blend. And so when I was home, I did family and home stuff. When I was at the coffee shop, I did van rider stuff. And when I was at my day job, I did my, my advertising, digital advertising stuff. And that, it, that really helped me keep those worlds uh distinct and i could shut them off and turn them on much easier so i'd leave the coffee shop and i would mentally pull a pull a lever in my brain and be like okay publishing is down off i'm not thinking about that anymore now i'm doing my day job i want to be excellent at it and do a good job for my employer they pay me money i need to you know all that kind of stuff so and then I, when I'd leave my day job, I'd shut that part off. And when I got home, I'd be like, okay, now it's time for family. Yes, I have a ton of other stuff going on, but 
I'm going to focus on my family, hang out with my kids, play with them, hang out with my wife, chat with her, whatever, watch a TV show with her in the evening and then get up and do it the next day. Um, that was, that was the best way for me to manage my time and keep my world separate and be efficient. It's, it's probably going to, you know, it's going to be different for different people. Different people work differently, but I found that when I started working at home or doing board game stuff at the office or doing office stuff somewhere else, like it, like it all became muddled and I began to like feel really like I was going off the rails. Like yeah. I was going to have a breakdown. Yeah. I really love that concept. And there's so much to be said about human psychology in, in, in certain locations, you know, doing certain different things. Right. Uh, and I'm thinking, actually thinking about my, my son. So he is six months old and we just started sleep training a couple weeks or I guess a week ago. And we, you know, we do the exact same thing. We go through the exact same routine. He, he takes his bath. Uh, I read him the exact same book every night. You know, we he gets his bottle, uh, pray for him, lay him down. My wife sings the exact same song. The lights go off at the exact same moment. Like all these things are very, very routine out. Right. And in the beginning he took forever to fall asleep. Right. He's just crying. He's upset and all these things. Last night I put him down. Uh, my wife is at a, at a party and she's, she was all worried. She's like, Oh, are you sure? Can you do it? You know, are you, this is, this is her baby. Right. And so she, she's trusting me to take care of the whole night routine myself. And I was like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And so I went through the whole routine, did it step by step and he fell asleep in less than a minute right? Because he's now used to it. He's accustomed to it. His psychology, his brain is like, oh, oh, it's time for sleep. Okay. We, we did this. We did that. We did this other thing. Oh, time to sleep. And he falls asleep. And I feel like doing the same kind of thing with, with create creative things, you know, it gets you in that zone where your brain's like, oh, oh, it's time to work on games or it's time to do publishing or it's, it's time to do whatever. I think it's a really smart concept of, of getting in that routine or getting in that certain place to tell your brain, hey, this is what we do in this spot. And so when I come to this spot, brain, be ready because this is what we're doing. I feel like there's, that, that goes a long way. Yeah, it was the only way I could make it work for me because yeah. I was doing, I was packing my days so much. Like it was, sometimes I'd be up at five and I wouldn't stop. You know, it would be eight or nine when the kids would go to bed and that would be when I would get a little bit of time to wind down. Yeah. And I, I couldn't maintain that pace without compartmentalizing my life as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. Now, as far as scheduling, did you have like a weekly schedule? You're like, hey, if, this is what I do on Mondays. This is what I do on Tuesdays. Did you have it specified out? I did because yeah. some days I would pick up the kids from school or I would take them to school. There, you know, there'd be other, you know, there'd be other expectations there. Um, my, my wife really likes to, to exercise and work out. And so she had her times where she needed to do that. So like, I was like, okay, well I need this amount of time and you need this amount of time. Let's, let's figure out when you need me to be doing things and I'll be doing other things. I had, I'd get up, you know, uh, I'd have time Saturday mornings. So yes, I had like a very detailed schedule, which, which I, I wasn't able always to follow because I'm not actually a really schedule oriented person. It's something I try to be, but as a creative, I tend to just kind of, you know, flow all over the place and be spontaneous. Um, but yes, I, I did have a very regimented weekly schedule with specific hours or stuff I would doing. Yeah. And I tried to stick to it as much as possible. Absolutely. That's been my advice to a lot of people who've sent in emails. And one of the main emails uh, or, or obstacles I get as far as new designers and people trying to get into this is time. I just don't have the time. And do I have any advice for that? And I always tell them, schedule it. Fine. You you have an hour. You have two hours somewhere in your week. You you are not the president of a country. Like you you have some time somewhere where you can do something. And so schedule it and say every every Tuesday night from seven to eight p.m. I'm going to work on game design and then die on that hill and, and make sure that nothing come gets in the way other than an emergency, other than something crazy, right? And you say no. This is what I do. And going back to your point earlier, this this is professional. This is business, right? This is not just some fun little thing. If you want it to be real and you don't want it, you want it to be more than just a hobby. Then you have to treat it like more than a hobby, and you have to schedule these things out. You know, I'm expected to show up at my teaching job at, at six. Let's say six fifty five. I have to be there. Like period. There is no. There's no other alternative, right? That, that's it. I'm expected to be yep. there. If I want to keep collecting paychecks and keep keeping my job, I have to be there a certain time and I'm allowed to leave at a certain time. That's how jobs work. And so if you want to get in the gaming industry as a job, treat it the same way. You say, hey, from this time to this time, this is what I'm going to do. And, and there's no exceptions, just like there wouldn't be an exception for your day job other than an emergency or something like that. That's a, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. That's very true. And I imagine there are people out there who actually don't have time, single parents, or they're working yep. two to three jobs to support their family. I know there are people out there who probably don't have the time, but I'd say probably for the majority of the people listening to this, you can make the time. You can find it somewhere. Yeah. You're just going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice something. I had to sacrifice game nights. I had to sacrifice playing video games. I had to sacrifice 
you know, sleeping in in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I had to sacrifice. I I made a lot of, and and, and those things kind of seem trite, you know, when I'm, when I'm saying them like that, like, oh, those weren't real big sacrifices. And I'm certainly not advocating that you sacrifice anything like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my family. (laughs) Ah, I'm getting a divorce so I can go (laughs) be a full-time game designer or something. No, I mean, you know, to each their own, but I'm definitely not advocating that at all. But you, you really do have to, you have to make uh, conscious if you want to do this full time, you have to make conscious decisions to cut out some of the things in your life that are taking up that free time that you desperately need to make a go of this. Yeah, definitely. Or you just design the next Dominion and you're good to go. <laughs> then you're fine. Or you marry a rich doctor. And then, <laughs> That's right. Or you marry a rich doctor. Exactly. Those are the uh, other other alternatives. You know, but- Man, I would be, I'd be so jealous. When I hear those stories, I would be so jealous. I'd be like... You lucky, you lucky punk, whatever. Maybe, but those people aren't as hungry though. That's one thing I've noticed that, that when people don't have as many uh, obstacles, they don't get as much done. It's it's the people, this is one thing I've noticed in my own life. When I had more time, right? When, when I wasn't working as many jobs, when I didn't have as much going on, as many responsibilities, I got less done in my margin and in my free time than I do now because now I have to be crazy efficient. Now I have to make sure every single minute is being used for something productive and I get a lot more done. So I feel like it's almost a detriment when, when things are a little too easy. And I read a quote a while back. It said, uh, rock bottom has created more heroes than privilege ever has. I was like, wow, that's, that's a good point, you know, because privilege makes you comfortable and you, you're not as hungry. You don't get as much done. You're not as productive. And so just something to think about. That's, that's really true. Yeah. I, I can only, think back on my youth and despair at the amount of time and wasted opportunities <laughs> I squandered away. Yeah. Was it, what's the quote? <laughs> youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So that was number one. Number one. Oh, is that's two, right. Number right? one. Okay. Number two. <laughs> All right. Number two. Number two, make, make a specific plan, have a one year, three year, five year plan. You could even go out to 10 years if you're feeling really, really, uh, reading the tea really leaves. Really yeah. Um, <laughs> In terms of, and like, think about it very concretely. And this isn't, this isn't, this is stuff that has uh, uh, quantifiable results that you can easily check. So uh, it could be something like design two games. That could that could be it um, for, as a goal, or it could be you know make um, make five thousand dollars a year designing games or illustrating or find two new uh, art clients, or um, speak to 10 new publishers and form relationships with them. Whatever, whatever it is, it's very specific things that you, can, um, that you can measure and check against. And we had important goals. We had very important goals, bigs, and then wildly important goals. And this is probably a good point to note that one of the really fortunate things I had in this process was a partner. Mm-hmm. I cannot... Um, not everybody is going to have access to that. They're not going to be able to find someone that is going to be on the same wavelength as them and keep them accountable and push them. And you're working towards the same thing. So clearly, um, it really is like finding a second like spouse in some ways. It's like my business, my, this is my business marriage. (laughs) Um, so I I do want to note that that, that is one thing that has been really, uh, that I, I don't, it would have been very difficult for me to do this on my own without having AJ um, by my, by my side working together for this. So, um, not everybody's going to have that. I just want to kind of throw that out. There's a caveat, but AJ and I would meet and we, we, he was the one who pushed me to do this, pushed us to do this. We, we just plotted out goals. We treated it like, even though it wasn't a, even though we were making some money, all that money was being poured back into art costs and development and printing of the next product. Um, we were, we took nothing out of the company. It was a complete, uh, turnover to developing stuff developing the next thing. Um, but we treated it, we still treated it like a, a, a professional job in a business. And we met every quarter, every three months and looked at our goals and saw where we were. And like I said, we had very important goals, um, and then wildly important goals. And we mapped them out on a one year, three year and five year, five year plan. Um, we, I think we had 10 year in there too. Um, um, and for us, it was one of them was go full time like quit our jobs and go full time. And we kind of thought that was like three years out, three years out. So we put that at the three year mark, wildly important goal, the most important goal, go full time. But then we had smaller goals like launch our saloon tycoon Kickstarter launch, you know, deliver saloon tycoon. That was a short term goal or, um, 
one of our goals was have a booth at Gen Con. That was a that was a goal that we put down. One of them was uh, uh, exhibit at Essen, which we'll be doing this. Uh, AJ went to Essen last year, but we'll be we'll have a booth at Essen this year. Um, another one was get office space, have an office, have a dedicated office, and then there were other financial goals like make you know X amount of profit this year and, and things like that. Um, and that that's important because it kind of gives you something to work towards. Um, you can look at your one year goals and you can kind of measure every all the decisions you're making. Hey, when you're working on a design and you have a brand new fancy idea pop into your head, does that does pursuing that new idea really get to your goal of designing of finishing your current game, yeah. even though your enthusiasm for it is waned because you're in your tenth iteration and you can't figure out how to get the make the victory points work or whatever. Right. You've got this bright, shiny idea sitting over here that, oh, man, it'd be so much more fun to go do that instead. Um, but you can kind of look at your goals and say, well, pursuing new idea number 13 would be fun, but that really doesn't help me get to my goal of having two fully designed games this year right? or three design games this year. That's great because it, it gives you like a decision filter. That's one thing I talk to the, to high school seniors about is finding a decision filter that you can, every decision that comes along, you just filter and, it's, and you say, does it get me closer to what I'm trying to attain or not? And every every decision becomes very binary. Yes, it does or no, it doesn't. And it makes uh, choices so much easier to make. True. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, that's another great way to put it. Um, and uh, we, uh, the other important thing is coming back to your goals and checking them every three months. Yeah. Um, and because I would forget about, we had this document, it was like sitting in our Dropbox, you know, or whatever, but every three months, age would be like, okay, it's time for our quarterly meeting. And I'd be like, all right. And we'd get down and we'd look at it and all, we would have always checked off one or two of those things on that document. Like, it's like, wow, we accomplished that. Um, and then, you know, we'd meet in another three months and be like, wow, we're actually closer to getting that one done. I hadn't even thought about it. And so it's kind of this, it, it, it really was encouraging as kind of like a, a a road sign, like a signpost on on our journey to going full time, to see how we were um, how we were succeeding in the small ways. We were s- successfully knocking down some of our smaller goals on the way to getting our bigger ones, and uh, that was because sometimes when you're in the middle of the grind, working two full time jobs, trying to make it go at it, your your design just got rejected. You're not finding clients. Um, your Kickstarter that you launched barely funded or didn't fund, you're going to have to launch it again or redraw. Like in the midst of having all of those little setbacks and stuff, it can get, you can, it can get discouraging and you can kind of lose sight of the forest for the trees, but meeting every three months and looking at our goals and saying, what have we done? Do we need to revise these? Do we need to change them? Um, Was really, was really powerful to seeing, Hey, we are getting closer to what we want. We are getting closer to being able to do this full time, even if right now in this moment it doesn't feel like we're actually any closer than we were six months ago. We we really are. Um, and 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 meeting and looking at the document and reviewing the goals uh, was one way we kind of kind of helped kept our sanity. Yeah, definitely. And it reminds me of another quote I read a long time ago, and it says, "A goal without a plan is a wish." And so, so many, so many people, they say, oh, I want to go pro in the gaming industry. And my question is, is that a goal or is that a wish? Like, do you have a plan? Have you figured out what that takes? Have you talked to anybody? Have you, have you sent emails to people who are, are pros in the yeah. industry and asked their advice or ideas on things? Have you, like, what are you doing that is a plan? Because if you're not doing anything, then you might as well just get you a birthday cake, throw some candles on there, light them up and, and make you a wish. Is that, that's what you're doing, right? And so, and another thing I love about the, like sitting down every three months, every month, every week, whenever it is, and measuring out where are we? right? Because what gets measured gets improved. And if you're not measuring stuff, then you're just kind of going based on gut, based on feeling, which is not exactly the best measuring tool. You know, if, if you're going to like check your oil, you don't like look in there and go, eh, you know, I feel like it's good. No, like you use a dipstick and you poke it down, you, you know, you wipe it off and you check it out. And you, like you use a tool and you measure it and you see, does it need to be improved? Do I need to get my oil changed? Do I need to fix this? Right? So I feel like, you know, in, in the business world and game design industry or gaming industry, same thing. You need to find ways to measure or am I getting closer? Am I getting farther away? Because if you're not measuring it, it's just kind of a, a you know up to the universe to decide, which typically doesn't go so well. True. Yeah. And we would just like what you're talking about, we would start with our wildly important goals are like go full time. Yeah. And then we would start breaking that down into smaller and very important goals. Right. And we break those down into smaller, just 
you know, just goals, right. just like, Hey, these are, this is, this is the stuff we want to accomplish in six months. Mm -hmm. Cause if we are able to accomplish those things, it'll help us accomplish this thing in a year. And if we accomplish that, it'll help us accomplish this in three years. And then we'll be able to go full time. Right. So absolutely. All right. What's number three. So number three is, uh, this is probably one that people have heard all the time. It's like network, 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 yeah. network, 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 and oh yes, network. <laughs> Um, you can network online and network at conventions, which again, comes back to treating it like a job. Like, do you kind of perceive conventions as going, having a fun time, or are you really looking at the conventions you can go and visit and meet with publishers and start getting FaceTime with them? So they know your name. Um, they know who you are and start building that network of contacts. Every step I've made in this industry has been because I knew someone. Um, I met, like, I can, I can plot it out. Um, I met Stephen Glenn, the designer who I started designing with. Stephen, um, Stephen was, got me an invite to a convention called the Gathering of Friends. Yep. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't have gotten in there if he hadn't suggested me. Uh, when I went to the Gathering Friends, I met Stephen Bonacore. Um, if I hadn't met him, I wouldn't have gotten Dark Moon published. If I hadn't gotten Dark Moon published, I wouldn't, um, I'm sure uh, AJ, you know, I, I wouldn't have, we would not have worked together. I had no experience. Um, I wouldn't have had any experience in the industry. And if I hadn't met AJ, I wouldn't be doing this full time. Right. So like, developing a network of, of people and contacts is super important. There are so many, you know, game groups online that you can be a part of. You can meet with people, um, get to know people that way. And, but honestly, you need to be going to conventions and you need to be thinking about it professionally. Um, yep. And specifically for artists, it would be getting a portfolio together, uh, trying to get FaceTime and meet with with different publishers and showing them your work for designers. It'll be really researching and thinking about a, a, a publisher's portfolio of games and figuring out, does my game fit in with this publisher? There's nothing, I, I do not publish Euro games. When anybody, a designer comes and shows me a Euro game, I think to myself, you have done zero research <laughs> on our catalog. You have no idea what we publish. Like you, you know, so, but, but, starting to do that and that takes money that takes you know that takes time you're probably gonna have to make sacrifices you have, might have to take vacation time to do stuff like and some of those things might not might be outside of your you know realm of ability to do but um trying to to network and build a network of people as much as possible is super important because if you're not if 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 you want to work in the industry full-time and it's not necessarily as a designer or an artist or even a publisher, you might find a, a supporting role somewhere. You might be a project manager or a developer at a company. Um, like, like you mentioned Jonathan Gilmore earlier. Jonathan Gilmore is now, he is a developer with Pandasaurus. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're, I know of designers who uh, they basically headhunt for different designs for publishers. A publisher can't be at a convention. The designer goes for them and tries to find stuff to send it back to them. Like there's all kinds of supporting roles and jobs you can potentially get um, to be in the industry full time. Um, but you won't get those unless you're networking and you know people. And then when a job opportunity comes up, like, hey, we need a marketing manager or a social media manager, or we need someone who can do shipping, or we need a developer, or we need a graphic designer, or whatever. When those kind of jobs come up, people are naturally going to hire people they know, yep. people they're familiar with, people they know their work ethic, and they know their temperament. Um, we're such a we're such a tight knit, um, passionate industry that naturally everyone is going to hire people they know and like right. um, often. And so you are not going to be in that position unless you're connecting and networking with people. Yeah, that's a great point. There's so many stories. So many people I've interviewed for this, this podcast who say, you know, I started off uh, volunteering at a booth at a convention for a publisher. Mm -hmm. And that turned into them asking me to lead play tests or them asking me to help with whatever. And then now, now I work full time and they can kind of plot out how they got into the industry pro, you know, professionally 
the same kind of way you can. Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But first thing, they had to put themselves out there and like start going to the places where where other people are. You know, if you want to be an actor, you, you probably need to spend a lot of time in Los Angeles. If you want to be a country music singer, you probably need to spend a lot of time in Nashville. That's just how it is. And, and you could, yep. you know, you could easily sit on your couch and complain about how the universe is against you and how it shouldn't be this way. And this is unfair and this is unequal. And all that crap. It does not matter. The universe does not care. If you want to be an actor, you need to be around actors and directors and scripts and, and all the, you know, people, uh, casting agents, all that stuff. Or I guess now Atlanta, Atlanta is also a big place for acting as well. And so you just need to be in those areas and for games, conventions are a big one, you know, uh, game nights, you know, all those kinds of things where you're meeting new people that are in the industry and then you can find your way in. And typically it starts off volunteering. Uh, it starts off just kind of in a helpful support role. And then eventually it moves on into you know a paid position. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's, there's any number of ways it can happen, yeah. but everybody I know it happens, it happens through relationships and it happens through your network. And if you don't, if you don't have that network, then those opportunities aren't going to come. Yeah, great point. Now, is there a four or is it just those top three? Yeah, there's a four. Okay, go ahead. Um, the four is pretty simple. Uh, don't quit your day job until you know the business works, yeah. till you know the design gig works, till you know you have enough freelance clients as an artist, till you know you can make a living as a publisher. Yeah. Like, don't quit your day job. So don't, this is, in no way am I advocating, you know, ah, I'm just going to quit my job and make a full time of this. That I think would probably be, that would be a mistake and a recipe for disaster. I, I think there are probably people out there who have done that. There's stories of entrepreneurs and all kinds of people who've started businesses like that. Oh, I quit my job and mm -hmm. lived in my parents' house and worked out in my garage. And then I made Microsoft or whatever. Right. But um, generally speaking, that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Don't so, assume you're going to be the outlier is my advice. You know, like don't assume you're going to be the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of the world. Like more than likely you're not. Uh, and that's okay. Like you're still special in your own wonderful ways, but you're probably not going to be the outlier. And so don't, don't bet everything. <laughs> don't bet your savings. Don't bet your family. Don't bet your marriage, all the things, uh, hoping that you're going to be the one in a billion that it works out that way. Yeah. We obviously, I always hoped that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> I hoped our Kickstarter campaigns would do 500,000 or a million. I hoped something would become a massive evergreen hit and Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble would all come crawling to our door begging for us to, right. you know, carry their games or whatever. I, I hoped those things would happen, but I knew that they probably wouldn't and that we were going to have to work really, really, really hard if we wanted to make the full-time thing a reality. And we did, and we crawled. And then we walked and then I don't know if we're running right now. I think we're probably at a brisk trot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So is it those four or is there a fifth? I think, I think it's those four. I mean, I think the fifth thing is there's probably going to be like, I, I don't want to call it luck, but I, I think that if there's, there's an element of, you know, just being fortunate, yep. um, you know, that, oh, this game we did put on Kickstarter was really popular and people did really want it. Um, oh, you know, when we delivered, you know, when we did the art for this game, it was really beautiful and uh, other publishers saw it and wanted to get... And so there's there's always going to be an element of, uh, of fortune and luck, like a lucky break here or there. Um, but what all my advice is that you are minimizing your needs for the lucky break. You are doing everything you can to build a strong foundation for you able to be able to do this full time. And when those lucky breaks or opportunities come along, you'll be able to seize them the best way possible, but you're not necessarily dependent on them. So they're still, it's still out there. Like there's still going to be stories of people designing the game. It's like a huge hit. There's like Wingspan, you know, currently. Um, that's like a, that's a wonderful Cinderella story um, uh, for the designer. Um, that, you know, but she, I, she, she worked really, really hard to get to that point, but gosh, no one knew that the New York times was going to be writing stories about that. Right. or was going to be this huge, massive hit. And that's really probably in many ways really solidified her start, her jump start um, in this industry. And so, but I imagine there was an enormous amount of hard work uh, beforehand that led. And so when that lucky break happened, she was, she was ready to, to, to grasp yeah, it. Definitely. If I, I want to, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like, and, and Elizabeth, she's coming on the show here soon. And so I'm excited to, uh, to talk to her more about wingspan and her process and all that. But I want to say that she signed that game with Stonemaier in 2016. 
if I'm not mistaken, it was like two and a half years ago that she signed that game and it went through a ton of development and work and playtesting and redevelopment and redevelopment and more playtesting to eventually become, you know, this quote unquote overnight success. You know, it, it takes 10 years to become yeah. an overnight success is the old, old <laughs> adage, right? Uh, but going back to luck, man, the best explanation for luck I've ever heard was that luck is when preparation meets opportunity and you got to be prepared. Right. You never know when the opportunity is going to come along like that, that, that who knows, like the universe just does what it wants, but you had to be prepared. Right. And that, that's where the, the luck really happens. And it's when that preparation and that opportunity hit at the right time, you know, in, in the right way. And so, yeah, being lucky is, is so much more hard work <laughs> yes. than people uh, a lot, of, a lot of times recognize, but yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you with everything you're saying. Exa- I was exactly trying to think of that phrase mm-hmm. as I was talking. I was like, I know that I know there's a phrase in there somewhere I've heard before. <laughs> That's exactly what it yeah, is. You're right. Absolutely. Luck is when preparation and opportunity yeah, meet. Definitely. Well, Evan, this has been awesome, man. Do you have any kind of closing advice, closing thoughts for somebody listening to this? They're thinking, gosh, I want to go full time. I want to be in the industry. Like, what would you tell that person that's, that's sitting there on the cusp trying to figure it out? I love, I love doing what I do. I'm so deeply thankful and fortunate. It's, it, it's hard work. And sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, I do not want to be laying out files or, you know, any number of <laughs> mundane tasks yeah. that I have to do. But there, there are times where I'm sitting in my office and I'm designing a game or uh, working with an artist or something. And I, I just have this moment of clarity where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to do something I love. And so it is, it has absolutely been worth it. Even though I think some of the things I've said have been like I'm trying, like I'm being a little discouraging in a way because I want it to, I want to be realistic and I want people to understand, you know, it's not all, you know, the it's not always greener on the other side and you might not really want to do this um, full time, but for, it's so worth it. It's, it's, it's great. And I love it. And I'm so grateful that our industry is growing and that we're in a position where small publishers like AJ and I, uh, really have a shot to be able to do this full time and keep bringing fun and joy and uh, games to the world. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, hey, you got a game on a Kickstarter right now. Tell me about that. So we have um, it is the final install. Well, maybe it's not final, but <laughs> AJ keeps telling me it's final. He's the designer. So let's just go ahead and say it's final, even though it might not be. Uh, you know how that is. <laughs> this is the last movie for sure. There will never be another sequel. It's the final installment in our hostage negotiator uh, uh, system series, which is our which is our award winning, best selling solo game, in which you take on the role of a hostage negotiator and you're dealing with an abductor. Um, it's one of the first games uh, AJ designed. It's been super successful. We have tons of expansions. And what's on Kickstarter right now is called Hostage Negotiator Career. And what it does is it takes all of the content we previously created and blends it all together into this 10-year campaign where you go through 10 years of a career as a hostage negotiator. And you have to deal with the stress on your family. You have to deal with career stress. You're trying to get, um, you're trying to get promoted. And slowly, uh, each year, you face off against a different abductor. So it kind of, it's really brilliant. It's a fantastic way to tie all the content together. And it's a really cool introduction uh, to the hostage negotiator world. So if you've ever wondered about getting into solo games, hostage negotiator is probably one of the best entry points you you could possibly have. And we're offering all the content. So you can come on and get all the stuff we've made. Um, in the past, if you want to, in one, one big sweet pile, you know how gamers like getting everything at once. Well, you can get everything at once if you want to. And it's, yeah, it's hostage negotiator campaign or yeah. Hostage negotiator career. It's on Kickstarter right now. And I think it's done probably mid May. So probably around May 13th, 14th, 15th. I think it's a two week Mm -hmm. campaign. Very cool, man. Well, I, I hope it does really well. And hey, congratulations for being able to go full time, for being able to accomplish that goal, you know, fulfill that dream. That's really cool. Uh, good luck as you guys continue to grow Van Ryder Games and bring on new games and do new projects, and new things. And uh, man, I hope it hope it just continues to go really well. I look forward to hanging out with you uh, this summer. Hopefully, I'll see you again at some conventions. But uh, good luck with the game on Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah, thank you very much, Gabe. Thanks for thanks for everything you do, man. I love listening to this podcast. It's always got great information. You have great you have great guests on it's so you're doing you're doing a fantastic job man awesome i really appreciate that 
thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?